Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. This is a deadline being set by the Taliban. Beijing's actions continue to undermine the rules-based order. Some money should come from the federal government for Border Patrol. We know this vaccine is safe and effective. Our hospitals are at capacity. There's just a world of hurt going on. Our ICUs are full. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Wednesday. We're waiting on our special guest. Uh, we're going to have this hour, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. I just uh, was on the phone with his uh, scheduler. They're on the way here right now as we speak, so uh, we should be joined with the lieutenant governor in just a moment. Uh, first of all, out of Afghanistan, uh, it's uh, not a pretty sight. And, boy, there is now the liberal media is uh, really going after the Biden administration. And uh, Politico had uh, last night had a scathing report out on what is going on and, and just comes out and calls Joe Biden and his administration a bunch of liars. <laughs> I, I don't know how else you can spin it because, um, I mean, daily, daily they, they're inconsistent in, in their message uh, between the State Department and the White House and Jen Psaki. It's just I, I don't know how the press can hide behind it anymore, and I think, I think they're coming after them. The never-die Biden folks – are, are now saying that this is the greatest airlift out of uh, in, in post-war history in the history of the world. Um, I, I don't want to call these people ignorant, but <laughs> they're now calling this the, the greatest thing since the Berlin airlift. <laughs> now, I, I'm sorry, but, you know, it, they used to teach history. In high school, and they used to spend at least a couple of weeks on World War II and post-World War II. The Berlin airlift was not, can we fly a bunch of people out of West Germany? The Berlin airlift was when Joseph Stalin said he was going to have a blockade, and uh, we were going to basically, Joseph Stalin was going to basically starve out the people of West Berlin. Well, what happened was... uh, Truman said, uh, no, you're not. The airlift was not to lift people out of Berlin. The airlift was to li- to fly in supplies for the people in Berlin so they could stay and be safe and not fa- fall under communist rule. It was basically the opposite of what we see Joe Biden doing right now over in Afghanistan. Unbelievable. <laughs> was it was it the New York Post earlier this week that— uh it basically called it Dumb Kirk instead of Dunkirk or something. <laughs> I forgot. I was just yeah. trying to look that up. Uh, you, you can't make it up. The um, one Afghan army commander, which, which this is interesting, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. And you know, I, I've got to be honest. I don't know enough I, I, to, to be dogmatic in, in what <laughs> I would say. I'm just reporting on what he said. But, you know, you heard Joe Biden. Now, we know we can't trust Joe Biden. So maybe that alone ought to give some credence to this uh, Afghan army general. 
But he's basically saying in this op-ed, he's challenging Joe Biden, saying, uh, Cousin Eddie, Uncle Joe, the reason why the Afghan army collapsed was because you abandoned us. He said that we were doing pretty good while the Americans were there, but when the Americans immediately pulled out, and uh, they pulled out pretty quick, obviously when you leave $85 billion worth of armament behind, you're pulling out pretty quick. But he says the Afghan army is not to blame. It had its problems, cronyism, bureaucracy, but we ultimately stopped fighting because our partners had already stopped. Um, The general is Afghan General Sami Sadad, He wrote the op-ed, and uh, he said by the time the Taliban, they were entering the city, it was was too late. Sadad said that the U.S. had pulled key support from the army and left its troops with their hands tied. It pains me to see Mr. Biden and Western officials that are blaming the Afghan army for collapsing without mentioning the underlying reasons that happened. Political divisions in Cabal and Washington strangled the army and limited our ability to do our jobs. Losing combat logistical support that the United States had provided for years crippled us, as did a lack of clear guidance from the U.S. and Afghan leadership. So uh, he is getting it from all sides, Joe Biden is, and um, none of it is good. And, you know, he's he's not getting any favorable comments from the G7 allies either overseas. No. Um, and you know, to your point on that article there, I've you know, I've heard some some generals that are not in the current administration, but uh, are pretty high up, talk about essentially when America backed out so quickly with Biden, then the NATO guys just I mean they're not they're not going to stay there if there's no, no Americans there. No, no. You know the other thing too that you, that you infer in that is you know, this was a NATO operation, mm-hmm. and for Joe Biden. A, to not be returning phone calls to NATO allies, such as Boris Johnson over in the U.K. I mean, didn't return a phone call for three days. But the idea that we're going to pull out and apparently NATO was sort of left in the dark on all this. Well, the thing about it, uh, his staff knows. He knows better than than the public because they see it behind the scenes. I mean, he honestly can't take a phone call. I mean, really. he, He really cannot... Good take point. a phone call. Good I mean, point. look at him at the G7 summit earlier this year. Shuffling when, through the tent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and when, uh, was it, um, what's the, oh gosh, what's the Great Britain guy, Boris Johnson? Yeah. Yeah, when Boris Johnson basically, you know, had to correct him like he was correcting a child or something. Oh, when, when they were introducing people at the oh, table. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Joe, Joe, you've already done that. <laughs> I mean. Wipe your nose, Joe. Uh, let's go ahead and take a time out while we're waiting on the lieutenant governor, and uh, hopefully he is on the way in the door as we speak. We'll see. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back again. Taking a quick look at your weather forecast. A chance of showers and thunderstorms before 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, otherwise, partly cloudy, low around 73. Uh, tomorrow's sunny with a high near 92. And uh, heat index as high as 100. So a little warm again tomorrow. Tomorrow night, mostly clear with low around 73. Friday, sunny with a high near 93. So sunshine and warm is the forecast. Just talk to Mark Robinson's folks. He is on the way. We'll see him shortly. Uh, we're just talking during the break. So uh, Joe Biden was asked 
Um, and welcome back. If you're listening on uh, 103.7, we just heard from uh, one of our engineers that we're back on the air now. We had a little uh, downtime there. Welcome back. And we're going to be joined by Mark Robinson uh, shortly. Uh, so um, Joe was asked, uh, so what if people, what, what are you going to say if people are left behind, Americans are left behind, and Joe just laughed? Yeah, a reporter asked him today, um, what will he do if Americans remain in Afghanistan after August 31st deadline? And he laughed and said, you'll be the first person I call. You know, not a time to be joking. And Peter, Peter Ducey hit Jen Psaki with it today at the White House press briefing uh, about it. And, of course, she did her typical deflection and, and said something that was completely not what the reporter asked. I mean— and he I'll just circle back on that one. Yeah, circle back, Saki. But uh, but Peter Ducey asked, "What's so?" Fu-? He wanted to know what's so funny with with that question. And uh, typical, you know, I guess that's the Biden Harris way. When you got a question you don't want to answer, you just start laughing. <laughs> mm. uh, well, uh, boy, that is so. Uh, I, I mean that that is like laughing at a funeral. It's too- I mean, that's like you're getting up and you're eulogizing someone and you're, you you start laughing. Well, it's like the Stephanopoulos uh, interview, what, um, <clears throat> two days after this, all this happened, with the, or a day and a half, I mean, less than 48 hours, when asked about, you know, people falling to their deaths and their remains in the wheels of the aircraft, you know, he says, well, that was four or five days ago. <laughs> you know, what what is, well, one, one, he was, you know, about 72 or 96 hours off. But what difference does it make how long ago right. when people are dying because of your and, stupid and, and, decisions? Again, could you imagine if that was Donald Trump that oh would goodness. utter anything like that? And, and again, I'll go back. The guy is old and he's senile, and it's it's a sad state of affairs. And frankly, Jill Biden ought to be ashamed of herself for putting her husband out there. She knew this guy was not capable. <laughs> she knew this would be an embarrassment to him and a disaster for our country. And again, I, I, I've said it a hundred times. I've probably said it a thousand times. I, he's not our legitimate president. I'm sorry. I know he's in the office. You can argue. You can, you know, I, I don't think he won this last election, period, end of report. Well, but, you know, you know la- um, I think it was last week or earlier this week, uh, Rachel Campos Duffy with Fox News it said something, the first reporter I've heard say it, that we have been talking about for over a year about the person that's most responsible for this is Jill Biden because she yeah. knows, and she, she made that comment that hmm. she she knows how he is better than anyone else. And the fact that she would let him go through this and run says a lot about her. You know, they're asking her for, you know, an apology and all this. After the, the left and the Democrats just vilified Melania Trump. Yeah. Yeah. F- for five years. Unbelievable. But, but she's telling the truth. I mean, Jill Bryden is responsible for anyone. Well, on top of that, consider the fact that Joe Biden had a partial lobotomy. And again, I've talked to surgeons who are familiar with the mm. surgery, and it is the filter. He has no filter. Well, he, you know, he's never had a filter. <laughs> I mean, for I've watched him for 40 years. He's never had a filter. But now— Who am I? You know, he you know he used to carry on a pretty good conversation in a in a congressional hearing or something like this. Th- this guy really. Why am I here? Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy he couldn't make it. Um, he couldn't play dead in a cowboy movie. <laughs> <laughs> what are we ever, talking about? I don't ever have to say it, Joe, but that's it. <laughs> the Daily Caller is reporting: Go woke, go broke. 
Now, the NFL was already in deep doo-doo concerning their political correctness and uh, the taking of a knee or staying in the locker room for the national anthem. But now, tickets to the New Orleans Saints-Jacksonville Jaguars game are outrageously cheap. I Mm. mean, in some cases, they're giving the tickets away. The Saints are playing the first game in the NFL to require fans to be vaccinated or provide a negative PCR COVID-19 test. What has that done to ticket prices for Monday night's game? Destroyed them, basically. According to Darren Revol, some tickets on the secondary market are selling for less than a dollar. In some cases, the price that is posted is zero. As of this moment, StubHub has tickets for as cheap as $6.00. So while it's not the lowest on the secondary market, they're still pretty cheap. This is honestly insane. Imagining taking your entire family to an NFL NFL game for 20 bucks, your entire family. Preseason games are always cheap, but they're not this cheap. Um, When was the last time you could buy a hot dog for less than it would cost for the ticket to get in? Um, (laughs) Hot dogs, probably 20 bucks. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Without debating whether the vaccine is good or bad, um, this, I guess, is good news for vaccinated people or for those people who can uh, prove that they have a negative test. Um, You know, and maybe that's not going too far saying I'm testing negative. But again, what other area in life? I mean, right. right, You know, it's really interesting. We're watching the uh, Little League World Series and, you, you, you know, they have played all these games and we we talked to uh the uh coach for the Greenville team when they got sent home Corey Scott and uh that was a boondoggle and as he said it was all a sham but you look at you watch these games on TV and out in the outfield now they're only letting family members in the stadium but out in the outfield where they're sliding down the hill on cardboard boxes there's there's dozens of kids out there, one on top of the other, and <laughs> it, it is it's it's just a, a joke. But here, going back to the NFL, it, this is just the cherry on top of the cake. I mean, it's it's not just the COVID restrictions; it's the culmination of genuflecting to the Black Lives Matter. Before that, it was hands up, don't shoot. You know, it's now it's the Black Lives Matter anthem. Uh, you know, everything Colin Kaepernick and all his garbage. Mm-hmm. The NFL thought they were invincible. I really think they thought they were invincible. And they pretty much were. They're not <laughs> in, anymore, apparently. In the marketing apparently. world, but they blew it. They have blown it big time. And uh, thank goodness. <clears throat> I mean, it was so, I can't remember who it was in the NFL, but they came out, and I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, we're, we're the folks that uh, basically booted God out of Sunday. We've taken mm-hmm. over that, that role, that we're in charge of Sundays now. I mean, they had not survived the wokeness from last year, for sure. I mean, they, they had to prove themselves. And then then this mask requirement. And then you probably probably have a number of, of legitimately concerned people that just say, you know, this COVID variant, maybe we'll just uh, maybe we just won't go to a game yet. So I, I'm afraid the NFL is going to be for rude awakening to their advertisers <laughs> for ratings. Yeah, and, and that's where that's really where they make the money. But again, I mean, you have these— they have these stadiums with fifty, sixty thousand, seventy thousand people paying a hundred dollars a ticket and more, mm. <laughs> and now they're paying a dollar a ticket, or they're giving them away for free. Unbelievable. 
Well, we are uh, very happy and proud to welcome back. You can walk right in front. Of the lieutenant governor is in our in our midst. Um, he got lost on the way to the studios. Did I not give good directions there? Uh, no, I think they, they transcribed them a little. They, did they? Okay, okay. they did. Uh, Mark Robinson, ladies and gentlemen, the lieutenant governor of Eastern North Carolina. Uh, he is in the eastern part of the state uh, attending an event, and uh, we are fortunate enough to have him in the studio. Uh, Mark, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for going thanks out for of your me. way. Thanks. Sorry, and, a little late. But. Well, hey, we'll just make you late for your next event. That's all. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I'm a man of importance. You know, that's you're, you're good. Let me start out by saying that North Carolina is extremely fortunate to have a lieutenant governor that has taken the lead to take back our public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, so many other states are having to react <clears throat> defensively mm-hmm. to the progressives that want to not educate our kids, but re-educate our mm-hmm. kids. And, uh, Lieutenant Governor, um, thank you for putting North Carolina on the offensive in mm-hmm. this regard. Um, in fact, just yesterday, you found yourself in the heat of battle before the uh, Senate Education Committee mm-hmm. Um, you offered your verbal support for House Bill 324, mm-hmm. the Enduring Dignity and Non-Discrimination in Our Schools Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, the North Carolina Journal describes the bill as preventing schools from promoting one race, sex, that is inherently superior to another race or sex. An individual's race or sex determines whether or not that person is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive. Or an individual should face discrimination of adverse treatment because of his race or sex. Now, one would think uh, if there was ever a bipartisan bill, it would be this bill. Mm-hmm. But yet, you, you you came up to give your verbal affirmation to this bill in support yes. of this bill, and yet you got pushback. Of course, of course. Uh, you know, let me say this first and foremost. Uh, I, these folks that are pushing back against our efforts to make sure that our children are educated in the right way, meaning given what they need to right. succeed in life. Exactly. And not given what they need uh, in order to be part of some political cabal that wants to try to change the structure of this nation. Uh, they can push all they want to. But the bottom line is we're going to get these kids a proper education. Thank you. An education that's free from uh, intimidation to try to fit into some social norms as these folks on the left see. But to put them in schools is going to teach them the skills they need in order to make a, a decent living in this country, to make a decent life in this, this, this country. So um, uh, we're going to continue to fight for that. Uh, the folks in that room that were pushing back, I, I understand some of the concerns, and I take those concerns seriously. What uh, were the concerns? Well, you know, they were trying to make connections between my uh, task force and the bill, and I was trying to explain to them respectfully that uh, those are two separate issues. The bill itself is set up to set up some guardrails um, uh, and and to give folks uh, a a venue uh, that we can look to in the statutes when someone crosses that line. And uh, the the task force findings that we came up with uh, are are completely separate issue. Now, of course, they, they are in the same vein and they share some of the same themes. But they're two separate entities. Uh, and I think the task force, uh, what we found in the task force, many, much of that stuff may explain why there is a need for those guardrails. 
Uh, but I certainly understand some of the questions that we had about our task force and about how it correlates to the to the bill. What I took offense with was, was uh, comments made by one senator in particular. Uh, he said that the entire issue was uh, Fox News driven. You're talking about Chaudhary? Chaudhary. Senator, Chaudhary. Senator Chaudhary made those comments. And those comments were not only inappropriate, but they were immature and uh, they were completely partisan. And I would submit to Senator Chaudhary, uh, the reason why no one has come to him about this issue is because they probably understand that he doesn't have the intelligence or guts to tackle the issue. And so I took great offense to that because I have stood in a room with parents and teachers and students who have been in tears over this issue. Mm -hmm. Their livelihoods have been threatened. Their futures have been threatened. Their children have been threatened because of this issue. It is a serious issue that needs to be dealt with. And for him to boil it down to some uh, to a Fox News-driven issue shows his lack of intelligence about the issue at hand. I wish Fox News would drive this issue. Absolutely. Someone <laughs> needs to. The It sounded like I, I haven't seen it. Uh, I don't know if there was a video of it or not, but it sounds yes. like it got pretty heated. It did. It got, it got really heated. And I apologize to, to my colleagues in the room. Uh, that I got so passionate about it. Uh, but I got passionate about it because I felt like I needed to stand up for those parents who were not able, were not, not there. Because he wasn't insulting me. Right. He was insulting all of those parents, teachers, and students out there who are crying out for an answer to this question and an answer to this, a solution to this problem. So he wasn't insulting me. He was insulting them. And he I, should be ashamed. I, I can certainly understand why he got upset because, you know, to me um, – Senator Chaudhary, um, he is being intellectually dishonest as there is. Absolutely. He knows what's going on. Heck, it's, be, it's, being, it's being talked about on the Board of Education. At DPI, I've had principals and teachers all over the state talk about it. Absolutely. And, the fa- and, and I'm going to give you some credit for, for from calling them out, and I will get you to answer this. He was just flat out being dishonest and distruthful. He knows better. Absolutely. <laughs> He's intelligent enough to know better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is Chaudhary rep- represents Wake County. I'm sorry, Wake County. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, my, my understanding is, in reading these articles that have come out and skimming through um, the summary of your um, report from the uh, FACTS uh, Task Force, is that 20% of, uh, I'll call them complaints, but concerns from parents mm-hmm. came from Wake County, his Absolutely. county. Absolutely. And he should be listening to those complaints. Look, I'll be the first one to, to say this. I, I, have some, I have strong opinions, political, social, religious. I have strong opinions. Uh, but as a person who wishes, who has a sincere desire to one day teach in the classroom, uh, when you step into that classroom as an educator, you have a responsibility to check your opinion at the door. Thank you. And if you do not, you are not a professional worthy of holding the title of teacher. Because you are not there to shape young minds. You are there to inject knowledge into young minds and to teach those young minds how to think. You shouldn't not be trying to, to put think. your exactly put your opinion into them. Well, you saw the uh, teacher over in Utah that uh, first day of class. She got up and started ridiculing anybody that was a Trump supporter, Absolutely. anybody that didn't believe in climate change. Absolutely. And, listen, if if that happened just once, it, it would be you know a million to one shot that we've got it on videotape. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I don't believe it only happened that one time. Absolutely. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about the task force. Earlier this week, your FACTS task force released its first report, mm-hmm. um, some 500 submissions from parents across the state, and uh, the summary report is some 40 pages long. By the way, if you want to read the full report, Clark has it up on our webpage, uh, website, encnewsandviews.com. You can go there and get a link to uh, the lieutenant governor's page where you can read the, the detailed uh, report, which is some 250 pages. Uh, but uh, obviously you don't have a time to, to get into great detail for a 250-page report, but mm-hmm. give us the, uh, the Reader's Digest version of what you found. Well, we, we found some overarching themes, which I think is the most important thing. Uh, we uh, Some of those overarching themes, one of the most egregious overarching themes, I think the most dangerous, is, we, uh, is the fact that uh, many parents and teachers and students are actually intimidated. They are afraid to speak up, hmm. which leads us to believe there are more people out there who wish to speak up but, but don't want to. Uh, many teachers are afraid to speak up because they'll lose their professions. Many students are afraid to speak up because of backlash from other students and, more importantly, from some teachers. And many parents are afraid to speak up because they're afraid their their uh, children will receive backlash. I think that's one of the most dangerous. Also, another one overarching uh, theme that we saw was what we call white shaming. Mm. This ideology that because you're a white or because you're a male or because you're a Christian, that somehow you're the oppressor. You know, the thing that I've tried to tell people this, and I've been accused, and you know, it's this odd thing, and I just thought of this just a few minutes ago. I've been accused of being a person who wants to whitewash history, who doesn't want to teach about slavery or Jim Crow or doesn't want to teach about all the, the injustice that this country has seen. But the people is odd. The people who really accuse me of that are the same people who want to tear down Confederate monuments, hmm. who want to tear down statues of George Washington, who want to remove people's names from buildings because they don't fit into their narratives. Who is this really trying to tear down history? We have never said anything about that. We want to teach all of history, the good the bad and the ugly. But we also want to teach in history that all of those issues, whether it be slavery, whether it be Jim Crow, whether it be the, the issue of women's rights, or whether it be the issue of, of, of what, what we would call uh, uh, lesbian and, and gay rights. Whenever there is injustice in this country, if you look back, and this is an undeniable fact, no one has done this by themselves. It has been good people of all stripes, who have come together to fight for justice at every turn. White, black, Christian, Jew, it does not matter. It is always the conglomeration of Americans of all stripes and all religions and all sexes who come together to fight for justice. And that's what we want to teach. But those folks on the left, they're busy dividing, dividing, Mm -hmm. dividing, separating, and continuing in that vein. That's what we're fighting against. We want to bring our children together and teach them the glorious story of America, how we overcame injustice together. And that's all we want to do. But for some reason, people think that that's wrong. You don't even, uh, we haven't even gotten into the peripheral issues of education, and that's some of the craziness that's going on with the whole transgender movement, with Absolutely. you know young men allowing to change and shower with girls in the locker mm-hmm. room, playing on the sports teams. Mm-hmm. There was a story out earlier this week up in, WAVY in Chesapeake, Virginia, the Virginia Beach area, was reporting that the Chesapeake School District, the school board up there, 
voted to defy the state government and said, we are not going to implement your transgender ideology Mm -hmm. in our school district, in the Chesapeake School District. Uh, Very, very hopeful sign that there is some pushback. Mm -hmm. Is Is that the trend or is that the exception to the rule? Well, it seems to be the exception to the rule because people seem to be caving uh, to the far left. Now, look, uh, you know, we, t- we talk about uh, oftentimes we, we, we call folks on the left, we call them liberals. But let's, let's be honest about this word liberal. We're all liberals. Uh, America was built on classic liberal ideas, liberalism, classic liberalism, the ideas of the, uh, uh, the rights of man and, uh, you know, our rights coming from our creator. That's what our nation was, uh, was based on. And that's what our form of government is based on. So we're all liberals, but we're not all lunatics. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, there's a lot of lunatics. We're not out there. all lunatics. And there's a line between being a liberal and being an absolute lunatic. <laughs> a lunatic is a person who says that a 250 pound man can play handball on the women's team yeah. or can compete against women on the weightlifting, uh, compete against women on the weightlifting team. I've said this once, and I've said it before. You have an absolute right to be a transgender. You can call yourself whatever you'd like to. You can dress up in any kind of clothes you want to dress up in. But when you come out into society, there's a set of hard rules that are dictated by real science, gender science, that's going to tell you, you cannot play on the girls' team. I'm sorry. You can wish and hope, and you you can want it to be that way all you want. But we need to set these things in stone, stone because I'm telling you what we're seeing right now is absolutely dangerous. We fought long and hard in this country to give women the opportunities they have in athletics. We can't flush it down the toilet now because we're trying to appease a small group of you people. You talk about a war on women. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, let me get you back to your the uh, task force uh, and your first report. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned just a few minutes ago uh, really piqued my interest. And... It doesn't surprise me that you hear from a lot of parents upset, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't surprise me that you'd hear from a lot of people that are conservatives. I was skimming through the report. I saw there was one assignment that was handed out to kids that, uh, you know, give me a definition of this word, fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. and the fill in the blank, the word was xenophobia. And the sentence was, Donald Trump is a xenophobia. He Mm -hmm. doesn't like foreign, you know, anyway. Uh, that kind of thing, it was, and there's numerous examples of that in this report. The report, by the way, I thought was very, very well done. But um, you mentioned teachers, and it doesn't surprise me that, that you're getting feedback from, from parents and students. Uh, it, it, from, from my standpoint, it's a pleasant surprise that you're hearing so much, neg- so much concern mm-hmm. um, for what the public school system is mandating that they teach yes. from the teachers. Exactly. And I'm going to mention something I have not mentioned in public, but it's been part of my private thoughts for a while. So we've got this huge defund the police thing going around. Right. Everybody wants to defund the police now because of what happened to George Floyd. Right. And anyone like me who supports the police is called a racist. Uh, and we're called a racist because we said we say that they say that we're ignoring the problem of police brutality and we're denying what happened to George Floyd. When you look at what happened to George Floyd, when I look at what happened to George Floyd, I was made aware of what happened to George Floyd, not because of the news media. The first person who brought it to my attention was a retired police officer hmm. who was ashamed of what he saw. Hmm. 
And the people who spoke up the most about it were police agencies right. who were ashamed of what they saw. They were concerned about their profession, and they hate to see their profession being abused. I would submit to you that there are many teachers mm. in that same position over this issue. They are ashamed of seeing their, their profession being abused by those who would use it for political means. And they're tired of it, and they want something done about it, and they're speaking up against it. At a time when we need good qualified Absolutely. teachers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a shortage. Were any, without revealing any any details or any names, obviously, but were there any exam, uh, any uh, concerns uh, from people that their jobs were threatened? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a common theme that we hear. Common theme. That was one of the top overarching themes that we hear heard was repercussions. And from teachers, it was, I don't want to jeopardize my career. And not ne- And here it is. A lot of times it was not necessarily because for them. It is because they need to be in that classroom to be that beacon for those students that need them. Right. They've got a calling. That's I mean, right. a, a good teacher feels That's like right. I'm called to that. It's not just an occupation, but they still, right. they still have to pay the rent and buy That's the groceries. That's absolutely right. That's right. If, as far as the, the students go, what was the theme from the students primarily? The theme from the students was, uh, again, this, along that same vein. Uh, being forced to participate in lessons that they don't want to p- participate in, being uh, bullied because of their view, their viewpoint. You know, uh, the a lot of schools, particularly universities, like to pride themselves as being a safe space. Right. Uh, I can assure you that on a lot of college campuses, if you show up with a Donald Trump T-shirt on you're and, not and a Blue Lives Matter hat on, you're not going to be safe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be bullied. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. I passed a many a student on the campus of UNCG wearing T-shirts that I blatantly disagreed with. I never opened my mouth and said anything to any of them. When I saw someone in a Barack Obama T-shirt, I never opened my mouth and said anything to them. Unfortunately, that does not exist for conservatives. Conservatives have a hard time expressing their views, and that trickles all the way down from higher education all the way down to to high school and junior high. You know, I remember, it's been a few decades since I was at the University of Maryland as an undergraduate, but I can remember back then, not so much for uh, political correctness, but you'd write a paper and you'd get into the mind of the professor Mm -hmm. and you'd ask yourself, okay, now what does this professor want me to say? (laughs) And do I want to get an A or do I want to get a C Mm -hmm. or a B? And I, I will admit there were times that I wrote papers and I tried to write what I thought the professor wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, you know, I wasn't dealing with what these kids are dealing with today. That's right. Were some of the complaints and the concerns from the students just that, that I'm having, that basically I'm being dictated to what to say in my papers, Absolutely. what to think? Absolutely. That, and just, you know, what you think about it, you're a young person. 15, 16 years old, you're politically aware and you're conservative, but you sit in a classroom where constantly the teacher encourages the students to uh, Ridicule. Re- re- yeah. repeat the things that are counter uh, uh, counterintuitive to what you believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very intimidating. When the teacher is going along with the other folks who think uh, differently from you and affirming that they're right and you're wrong. Right. The teacher is not supposed to do that. And for the life of me, I can't understand why any adult who calls themselves a mature adult, a professional, 
would do that. It's a bully. It yes, is bully. Yeah, you are at, you are the you are the king of bullies. Right, and it's amazing that they're always railing against against bully uh, against bullies. Right, and they are one. <laughs> right. Te- teachers and professionals. Sh- I mean, they should encourage students to express their opinions when it's inconvenient to do so. That's right. Not be bullied to 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 think Thank like you. everyone yeah. else. That's right. And if you're going to have a back and forth, and you're the professor, you should play devils. If you're going to play devil's advocate. Play it on both sides. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. Play it on both sides. Now, did the task force come up with any solutions in the report? No, that was not our that was not our goal. And I wanted to make that plain as well uh, to the media, and I wanted to make plain in the committee as well that that task force was not designed to be a solution or. Uh, well, I think it's to a, anything. I think it's a solution by just revealing the facts. Exactly. The, that the task force was meant for two things. Number one, to prove that this exists, and give the uh, give the examples of how it exists. And number two, to start the conversation and the process of what do we do about this? How deep is it? Uh, and how do we how do we stop it? It's got to be stopped. Now, House Bill three twenty four did not come out of the task force. No. Do you, do you think that the fact that you've put a spotlight on this issue since the day you took office, do you think that uh, helped clarify the issue in, in some House members' mind and they said, hey, we need to bill on this? Have you ever talked I, to anybody? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it hurt, but I don't think so. I think what drove that more than anything was the same thing that drove the task force. What drove that uh, the task force was calls concerns uh, from parents, teachers, and students. I would not have started this task force if I had, if parents, teachers, and students had not been reaching out to me the entire time on my campaign and my entire time in office about this issue. This issue was not driven, like like, uh, Senator uh, Chaudhary said, was not driven by Fox News. It was driven by the complaints of parents, teachers, and students across North Carolina. And the bill was driven by the exact same thing. Where does the task force go from here? Are they now released? Or are they going to continue their work? Uh, well, we we have we've taken the information, and we're really uh, using this information to try to figure out what our next steps are. Because here it is. This is uncharted territory. We've never been here before. We've never done this. No one has ever done this before. Uh, it's a problem that has been discussed widely on social media, been discussed widely uh, uh, by pundits. Uh, it's been discussed on social media and in households and dinner tables, but it has never been discussed uh, within the halls of government to this level. And so we do not know what our next steps are going to be. But we want to make sure that those next steps are measured and that we make the right steps because this is an important issue to solve. Are, are you getting some national exposure on this task force? We have. We got some national po- exposure when we first started it. Uh, and we've even seen uh, some places that are uh, – some some entities that are uh, taking this up in their their states wanting to do, as well. the, wanting to do the same yeah, thing. Yes. Yeah. Let me change gears with you a little bit. Um, are you having fun? I am. I am. This has been a. Uh, you know, people ask me all the time how you liking the job, and I keep telling them uh, what job. <laughs> <laughs> this is not really a job to me. Was uh, uh, and I think there are a lot of people that can relate to this. A job to me was when I used to get up at five so I could be to work at six. And work till uh, 4.30 and then leave and could barely hold the steering wheel on the way home because I built, you know, 
four, five, or six, or seven, or eight, or nine, ten uh, sofas of love seats. Uh, that was a day's work. A day's work was those fifteen-hour days uh, working in restaurants, or uh, those uh, sometimes twenty-hour days working in the daycare industry. Uh, those are the things that folks do to make the state go round, and the people who drive right. the engine of the economy in right. the state. What I do is service, and it is a blast. I get to meet great people. Uh, I get to travel to all parts of the state. I get to travel to parts of the country. I get to meet again. Get well, to listen, meet. you get to travel. You were down at CPAC. That's right. That's right. I get to meet great people, and I get to uh, fight for the people of this state. And that's not a job. That's a privilege. Yeah. It really is. So there was a little bit of pressure on Mark Robinson to consider running for the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm few months back and you said hey look i'm i'm just getting into this job not not so fast mm-hmm. um any thought towards the future though in other positions or not at all not at all i'm a uh i used to a church that i used to attend and a pastor uh that i used to sit under uh he said that life with god is like being on a roller coaster you know, you up, go up the hill. You don't know what's over the hill, but you know you're going to be all right. Yeah. And you're going to yeah. ride down that hill, and you might be screaming and screaming your head off, but you know he's got you. And that's how I feel about this thing. I know God's got me. He's going to lead me where he wants to lead me, but uh, I don't know what's over the next hill. So we well, that, uh, That's a great way to that's approach right. it. That's right. And your wife's still putting up with you. Oh, yeah. She's, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. She's, she's, she's having to put up with me. Like I said, I'm giving her headache after headache, but she's she's a good woman. She's taking it. Lieutenant right. Governor Mark Robinson. Mark, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. This well, is thank great. You. Yeah, and Appreciate Enjoy it. Uh, Eastern Carolina while you're here. And, Absolutely. And uh, try, try to stay cool, and we'll look forward to having you on again. All right. Thank We've you We've got to take much. another time out. Stay with us. Benny and I will be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back again. Again, our thanks to Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. I am so thankful he is our Lieutenant Governor. You know, he had said at one point that yesterday's uh, events got a little heated with Senator Shootery. And, uh, you know, he apologized to his colleagues for getting a little boisterous, perhaps. I am so thankful we've got someone in the position of Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson that he doesn't cower. I mean, so often you'll have these people that, you know, they'll they'll say something like, well, this is a Fox News-driven issue, and they'll cower in the corner. Mark Mark Robinson wouldn't put up with it. I love it. And the courage to speak from the heart. Yeah. You know, and, and not worry about political consequences. Anyway, our thanks to Mark Robinson, and uh, hopefully before too long, we'll be calling him Governor Mark Robinson. (laughs) You think? I hope. Hey, thanks for being with us. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.